and we're back on the bench. I'm Josh Newberg. I'm here. It's just a one-on-one with me and Chris Nee. Brendan's here. He's recording, actually, but he thinks he sounds horrible, so he doesn't want to come on. I think he sounds fine, but I'm fine with him not coming on. Um, Florida State lost the game 31-24. to It was Virginia's fourth win over FSU all time. UVA heads to 3-0. and FSU now 1-2 and to start the season. Um, Chris, we think you know, we talked about this on the podcast. I, I believe we record a, a preview pod last Thursday. And for the most part, the game played out pretty much how we thought we would, right? Yeah, I mean, it was a little bit lower scoring than I think any of us expected. I think we all expected basically one touchdown more for each team. But in general, yeah, it played out that way. It was a little more low scoring in the first half, you know, 14 to 10 going in the locker room, FSU leading. After three quarters, it was 17 to 10 FSU. And then the bottom fell out in that fourth quarter with 21 points for Virginia. FSU's defense got worn down. They were out on the field for 40 plays again. Penalties were a big issue. Bryce Perkins did whatever he wanted in the second half. And FSU's offense faltered when they needed it in the end. Mm. So it was kind of basically on script, and it's very much an embodiment of the DNA of this football team. Yeah, yeah. Um, 31-24 was the final. Here's our predictions from the week. I had 32-27. You had 35-31. Brendan, 42-35. Brendan was kind of the outlier. You and I were very close. Um, We all expected Virginia to score more than 30. I got got the point spread right. And here he is. I knew I could get him to show up. (laughs) I got the point spread right, you son of a... (laughs) Um, We all expected Virginia to score more than 30, which they did. Um, But we also thought FSU would score more than 24. The offense, while I'm not going to say the offense was an issue, um, what do you credit maybe to Virginia? I mean, why do you think Florida State couldn't crack 30 this week? Well, they had a season low in yards. Their rushing attack wasn't very effective outside of one nice run by Kalen LeBourne that went for a career long 36 yards. And, you know, there were drives where they just couldn't muster anything. You know, if you're going to run, people hate wide receiver screens. If you're going to run them, you got to block them. And FSU didn't effectively block them. And that blew up some drives for them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's things like that. It's just it's they're inconsistent at executing what's being asked of them within the offense. I felt they tried to establish the run. Yeah, um, I definitely. So. They, they came out in the second half and actually were extremely assertive with running the ball. And they had their most success in that mm-hmm. third quarter running the ball. I didn't have an issue with how they tried to run. Virginia's just talented up front, very good linebacker group. And they did a good job of kind of slowing it down. I didn't think FSU didn't try to be effective with the run. I think it's more Virginia did an effective job of stopping the run. Yeah, and we've seen this offense kind of hum along. You know, everybody said, oh, the offense is great, or, or at least the least of our issues. Do you think, and and I saw it as, you know, I don't think the offensive line, It's I think it started up front for FSU. I think they got dominated up front. Do you think the offensive line took a step back or is this just competition? I mean, Florida State hasn't faced a power five team yet. This is the first one they faced. Do you think that the O-line underperformed, overperformed? What was your take on there? I think the O-line, it's who we thought they were. I mean, Abdul Bellows in there for Juwan Williams. There's a little bit of a drop off there with that. But they faced a very physical, good upfront group with excellent linebacker play, and they played like a team that faced such. You know, there were instances where at the mesh point there was a defender right there in their face. Plays were kind of quarreled that way. 
I think it's just a credit to Virginia. I think Virginia is a very good, talented defensive team who's capable. They're able to put guys on islands like Bryce Hall defensively, which allows them to have more numbers in the middle of the field and be more of an attacking type defense. I didn't think Virginia was overly aggressive with blitzing or anything of that sort. I think they were just a better team at the point of attack. Hmm. Much was made throughout the week by us. Um, about discipline issues, personnel changes. Um, we kind of went back and forth on Thursday and we talked about what changes or how we expected to see these changes, how they would manifest themselves. Um, we kind of saw a bunch of ores on the, on the depth chart, not necessarily changes. Um, Dontavis Jackson doesn't start. I guess that was one of the major things that was different from one week to the next. What stood out to you, if anything? I mean, they still had 10 penalties for 83 yards. They still kind of, you know, under the pressure of the fourth quarter, they were awful in that regard, committing, I believe, five penalties in that final quarter. They're an undisciplined bunch. It's it's not going to change week to week with regards to the whole actions versus paper. DJX still played a ton. He still committed a penalty late. Some people can say it was a phantom call whatever they want to call it. But DJX is still an ongoing issue for this team that embodies the discipline issues that this team has as a whole. Seeing him held out for the, um, for the first series, was it first series or was it even two series or how long was he? I I believe it was just the first series. He didn't miss many snaps at all. Right. And he might as well. Yeah. He might as well have been the starter, right? He, he, he definitely took, a majority of the reps at the position, if not all of them. Um, I almost felt like we talk a lot about discipline and Willie has said, he's got to send a better message to the players and, and do so better. Um, to me, having him stand next to you on the sidelines to start the game was more of a message to fans in the media that, Hey, look, I'm doing something rather than a message to him. Cause to see him go and on and play the entire game, essentially, I don't know what kind of message that really sends to Dontavious. Like you're going to, Oh, you're going to miss the first four plays of the game, but I'm going to trot you right back out there for the entire game. Um, and then we, of course we saw a couple penalties during the game, not just on him, but on others. And once again, what was Willie Taggart's message in the post game press conference on penalties, Chris, that they essentially have to do a better job of driving the point home to their players that they need to play more disciplined football. All right, so we don't expect to see more disciplined football moving forward. Um, This is, I'm going to be disciplined and remember to take a break. So, uh, Brendan, let's take a quick break. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And we're back. 
I'm not done. Dis- we're done discussing the discipline issues, but I, I still want to talk personnel. Um, we saw the linebackers struggle mightily once again, probably the weakest point of that defense. Another week, another question for you, Chris. What's the answer at linebacker? I don't know that there is one. We were just being brutally honest. I, I, we're three games into this season. They showed better effort on Saturday, but they are sort of who they are at this point. I don't think there's some magic potion or some resolution that they can come about. They can play better. They can mm-hmm. line up better. They can finish plays better, and they can do that consistently. You know, a guy like Jaleel McCray only sees three snaps in the game, so I don't think we're going with a huge movement here. So I'm going to quit clamoring for that. It is what it is. They, it's clear that a guy like D. Jax is in their plans, and that's who they intend to run out there, and they're going to run him out there. You know, penalties be damned. Yeah. Three snaps for Jaleel McCray. Do we get another um, DNP for Kevon Glenn, or did he? I get- believe so. And then Djax, I believe, according to PFF, was the lowest graded. I believe at least player at his position, if not the entire damn defense. Okay, so something Brendan and I have kind of been talking about, and he may write a story about this down the road. But I, I had, I had a question. You know, there's a lot of talk about the linebacker room being turned over. Um, a lot of us in the media, a lot of fans, coaches, we've all at some point said that the staff has turned over the linebacker room. Well, if the same, if the same players are still on the field, making the same mistakes as they did last year and the the young guys, they either don't trust them or they're not playing. Have you really turned around the linebacker room? I think uh, we've been a little, or we, we premature to, to make that judgment right now, because for some reason, these talented guys that they really loved when they recruited, they're not trusting them to go in at certain points of the game. Not even, I'm not even saying start, just go in. Well, you've set yourself up to be better long-term in the position, but there's not short-term results tied into that. What's your, just trying to win games? What's your best take on that? Or do you think that, that, that maybe <laughs> hey, they're not as good as we think they are? I think some of it young is guys. it's tough to trust a freshman. They're going to make mistakes. I mean, we saw Renato Green, Isaiah Bolden, guys of that sort have some issues on Saturday when they went to younger guys. So that comes with it. It's not a magical solution that that guy goes out there and he automatically plays better. It's more a matter of he may give you something different, which may bring about improved results. But that's all kind of wishing in one hand and hoping in the other. You know, with FSU's defense right now, it's clear that they trust certain guys and are not ready to run other guys out there, and that's who they are. But the issue is fourth quarters roll around. They're not deep enough to play 40 minutes, and they get run up and down the field by a guy like Bryce Perkins, who a lot of people last week tried to tell me wasn't very good at what he does. But, you know, he went for 295 yards and completed pretty much every single pass he attempted in the second half and took whatever he wanted while putting 21 points on the board in the fourth quarter for his offense. So, I don't know if he's not any good, but I do know that the FSU defense certainly is not any good when it matters late in games because they're not built to be that. They're not capable of being that. They're not deep enough to be that. They're not talented enough to be that. And they're certainly not well-coached enough to be that. I'd love to ask you what the FSU defense is built for, but I'm afraid of your answer. So (laughs) I'm going to stay away from that. Um, Josh, we know what they're built for. They're built (laughs) for giving up a lot of points, a lot of yards and not being able to get a lot of stops late. Whew. They are. Um, I want to pack it all into a short podcast, so let's talk about James Blackman and his performance. Um, probably one of the more inconsistent games that we've seen Blackman in, period. Um, yeah. Definitely his worst performance of the season. 
he didn't he didn't do anything to I'd say throw the game away, but he also didn't do anything to win it, right? Yeah, he's had truthfully two performances he would probably like to take back between this and the Boise State game this year with ULM sandwich in the middle. Um, he he struggled Saturday. He was twenty two for thirty seven. Mm-hmm. That stat line sounds pretty much exactly like how he performed. You know, he had two hundred thirty four yards of the year, threw for three passing touchdowns. He had some really good, but he also had the pass into the corner to Terry that he missed on the vertical pass to Terry down the sideline late that he missed on the Trey McKitty pass on third down mm-hmm. on their second to last offensive series. He missed on there. I think some of it was, he was getting bothered a great deal. There was a lot of pressure in his face. He's also shown a little bit of hesitancy sometimes with pulling the trigger, a lot of pumping. And I know some of that is trying to get defenses by to open up other options. So I understand why he's attempting to do that, but there's times where he just isn't able to have hesitation in the offense because he's not being provided that luxury by the guys in front of him. Yeah. Um, Want to throw it over to the ICU real quick and get Brendan's take on, on James. I thought that he was, hi guys. I thought that he was maybe not as bad as a lot of people are making out. The The issue for James were the ups and downs and when the downs occurred. And that's the last two drives of the game, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Missing McKitty on that third down pass when Keyshawn Helton is, is streaking wide open on the second to last drive is a toughie. And then, missing Tamori and Terry on uh, on that double move and, and the reaction. I was down on the sideline at that point of the game and, and the reaction from FSU's sideline was that of, uh, I, I guess, deflated or they were besides themselves because they knew what that opportunity was. They knew it was something that was dialed up and was there and, and Virginia was giving Terry one-on-one all game long. So it's something FSU hadn't really taken a shot with and they finally do. And James just missed. Uh, I, I don't, because those are the last things we we saw of James Blackman, I think it's natural to say he he didn't play very well. Uh, but it, it, I think against this was against the best defense he played all season so far, and mm-hmm. uh, the middle of the game he was actually really 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 sharp, remarkably so, and uh, running the offense, getting the ball out quickly, getting to the right guy. Uh, like Chris said, I do want to see him not do so many double double pumps on. Uh, on the RPO stuff, but like, I actually thought he was really good in the middle of the game. And again, this is the most talented defense he's faced through three games. You know, Boise States is, is good, but I think Virginia and their linebackers and their corners are, are much better. So I think that's just the context we need to apply is like, this wasn't a great game for James and he missed in key moments. Uh, at the same time, like I'm not ready to write him off yet. Like some are, I don't know if that's entirely fair given what the entire body of the game was. That's it. Bye guys. I agree with, let me hop in there real quick. I agree yeah, with Brandon. Ahead. I think that's a very good point. He was nine for 13 in the fourth quarter. The issue is the four misses. We very much remember. So we're asking for perfection. And it's more because the offense has to have something come up for them in order for them to, um, in order for them to kind of get going and do what they need to do. Here's my take. Um, I don't think James Blackman, I don't think, I'm not ready to move on from James Blackman. I don't think Willie Taggart or Kendall Bryles are, are, are either, but here's one thing that I'm not sure of. Um, can they really run this offense the way they want to without a dual threat quarterback? Um, I know that these guys, Willie Taggart, Kendall Bryles will jump up on a table and pound their fists on, on it saying we can't, we don't need a mobile quarterback to run this offense. Well, I think that's a little bit of ego getting involved. I think that's saying like we can take a guy with less tools and still make this offense work. 
yeah, you can make it work. We're seeing what it looks like when it works, but I don't believe that this offense can reach its potential until you have a dual threat quarterback in there. And we're seeing that happen now. You guys agree? I mean, I think this is kind of what the offense is under James Blackman. I think that's fair. I I do too. There's limitations. Sorry, I'm stepping in more because Chris's video is kind of yeah, a, little, a, little, little a little wonky. So I'm stepping up. I'm this is a Michael Jordan's flu game, guys. I'm I'm really gutting through it. Uh, I I agree, Josh. There's limitations, and I think the question does have to be asked for James is you know is he Kendall Bryles asked he he laid this out. I think it was in media day that predictability is the number one trait that he puts in a quarterback, and is mm-hmm. James predictable enough for what he wants right now and. I think that question is a fair one, and I don't know the answer to it. I think um, Coach is just like saying I can make this offense hum with a guy that doesn't have as many tools as the next, and I. But I just don't. I don't believe that. I saw Jeff Sims keep a keep an option play for a touchdown uh, this past week. That, that looked good. That, 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 that should get you good. excited. Yeah. I mean, there's a dual threat on the run, and I'm not saying I want to see Jordan Travis. But it does make me wonder what the offense would look like with Jordan Travis. Just the ability to run. I, I know there's a couple times there where where if you do have a dual threat, you can dial something up and you can move the chains a couple times. I mean, just a couple first downs, I think, really helps FSU in this game against Virginia. Um, all right. Enough of that. Let's wrap it up. Um, down towards the end, we can't we can't get out of here without talking about the the final play. So Helton catches a 16 yard pass, gets it down to the two clock running. For some reason, it doesn't stop. Uh, the final play Taggart says, this is the play they wanted. Uh, they wanted to run the play. They did not want to spike it. That's what he says. Um, we see him get to the line, the OL getting set. Everything looks like they're going to get it off. They do. It's to Cam Akers and the Wildcat. He doesn't get around the edge. Um, I saw what looked like a tackle to be setting in a, in a pass block while the guard was going off in a run block scheme. Um, I don't know what was happening. He says they knew the play. Uh, do you guys, I know Brendan wrote uh, an article for some clarity. Help me out here. I think the O-line didn't fire off at all. They weren't on the same page, certainly, because of what you just mentioned that you saw with the uh, guard, Brady Scott, trying to pull and be a lead blocker and getting blocked by That's his what it was. own fellow offensive lineman. And then the receivers, we had guys that looked like guys they thought might be spiking it. They certainly weren't blocking it up. Others that looked to be running as though they were pass options, which may be part of that play. We won't know till we talk to Kendall Browse because he definitely called it. Willie Taggart wanted us to make sure we knew that Kendall Browse definitely called that play. Can I read that I quote mean, it, real quick? It just – it. I think that that's what they wanted on that play. I get people that were like, they should have spiked it versus they shouldn't spike it. I understand that conversation. It just didn't work. I did actually agree with Willie when he just was matter of fact, but it just didn't work. I mean, that, that's what happened. They did not execute the play effectively. And Akers tried to get it done on his own, but it was basically a four-on-one situation for him in space. Yeah, I, I, yeah hold on. I think that the decision to call a play there, I'm not mad at it. Um, I think this offense was moving. That's what they do. They go fast. I think everything points to them running that play. I, I'm just not convinced everybody on the field knew what play they were running. There's no way in hell they all knew what play they were running. So breakdown in communication, breakdown in clock. I'm not going to say clock management, clock management by the officials. It just didn't happen for FSU. Um, Brendan, your take? I think play? that. 
I think that's where the three-second runoff after Helton uh, caught the ball for the first down. There were seven seconds remaining in, in FSU. Then uh, by the time the clock stopped, it's at four seconds. I think those three mm-hmm. seconds are ultimately what cost FSU. They're not saying they necessarily get in with it, but uh, if you have the extra three seconds and you're not snapping the ball with one second left and you're snapping it with like you know three or four, uh, or you're able just to get guys set. Like the offensive line wasn't able to explode off the ball because they were just getting set. There's clearly confusion. Like I just do wonder what those final few seconds do. Uh, I, I don't have the issue with not, you know, not trying to spike the ball. Uh, mm-hmm. I think you got the play that you wanted. I do think there was indeed confusion, which which is problematic. And this has been, we saw the same thing against Boise State, guys not lining up correctly or or not having great clarity in, in this, you know, two minute drill or I guess you know, <laughs> even less than that in in this scenario. So. Uh, I don't have an issue with them going fast. And, and generally speaking, too, like I know people were upset on that drive before Josh. Like remember when when they had to just go three and out and, yeah. and they're going fast? That's what this offense does. Like, and that's you're you're all in on that. Like, that's what Kendall Browse does. That's why you brought him in here is to is to go fast. And that's how he has masked a fairly uh, bad offensive line. He's made them look serviceable at times. Uh, so I don't have an issue with with the way it ended uh, in in terms of what the play calling was. It was more, it was more the the officiating I think hurt them a little bit in, in that instance, and then the general confusion and preparation is a recurring theme here. The second to last drive, truthfully, is the most crucial one for FSU. When they went three and out, they gave Virginia a lot of time back to go ahead, would go ahead score, putting FSU in that situation where they had to try to score quickly, late with not a whole lot of clock to work with. So we can all clamor about the last play, and it, it was kind of chaotic and a little bit nuts, and it didn't turn out as anybody wanted to. But truthfully, FSU put themselves in the situation to lose that game late with going three and out on the prior drive. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, how do I want to wrap this? Let's wrap it with Brendan's column. He asked a great <laughs> question yesterday and into this morning. I read the article. I, I suggest everybody go to Knowles 24-7 and read it. It's free if you're listening to this because it related to my thoughts. I'm sure it will relate to your thoughts. Um, the gist of the article is, is FSU getting better under Willie Taggart? Last week, Chris was essentially asking for a moral victory this weekend. He didn't think that uh, FSU was going to win. Um, Chris, did you get the moral victory that you so desperately asked for? I'm, I'm not Chris. I'm going to hop in because his, his video is frozen. Chris, are you back? Are you back, Chris? I'm here. All right. Did you get the moral victory that you so desperately wanted is what Josh asked. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> uh, I thought it was, I'll put it this way. I think they have some positives to take away from it on the road, even though it was a loss, but they're one and two, they're in trouble. You know, they, they have to win probably the next two are very important. You want to be probably above 500 before you have to roll in and face Clemson. It's where they are. It wasn't very enjoyable how they lost, but yeah, there's some more victory to it. I understand some people completely disagree with that and I'm fine with that. I don't really have an issue with that. I understand that side of it. But FSU needs to show improvement. They could have rolled out there Saturday and just gotten rolled and put forth no effort. And they didn't do that. They played hard. They just didn't have enough in the end. Yeah, I just like busting balls. I always I always get a kick out of people saying, like, oh, we need a good loss this weekend and we'll be okay. Because I don't know what more you could have asked for. FSU going on the road against a ranked opponent, they play him down to the wire. They have a shot to tie the ball game at the very last play of the game. That to me would constitute, you know, a quote unquote good loss. 
Well, rem- remember, did we, you remember, remember, Brendan, did you check the message board after that loss? Yes. There was that was that was not a good loss type message. So I'm just I'm busting balls, but I just don't believe in in good losses like that. I I think that um well let's stick to Brendan's article. This was Brendan, do you think FSU's getting better? Uh I think they were better this past week than they were. Like if they had played this way, the way they played against Virginia, if they had played that way against Boise State, they win that by probably ten mm-hmm. points. Uh so so in that sense, like yeah, it's getting better. I, I think the a uh, big surprise. I'm going to be nuanced and not take a strong stance here. Uh, the thing that I look at with Florida State and where they are with Willie Taggart is like I, I think there's marginal improvement across the board, except for the defense, which has taken a step back. So like holistically, if you're still losing games because of a certain uh, unit, then then yeah, that that's not necessarily growth, even though you're getting better in a lot of other areas. Uh, but to me, is it better enough? Yeah, that's grammatically not correct. I'm I'm sure, but is is the growth that we're seeing I guess, satisfactory. And I think that's the bigger question maybe uh, of what I want to see throughout the the remainder of the season here. Right. Uh, Cause I don't know if we're, I think it's unfortunate. We're at another point. You know, last year I wrote like a few games in, like we're not weighing this team by, by wins and losses. We're weighing if, if they're better and they didn't get better last year. They were making the same mistakes against Florida that they did in the opener against Virginia tech uh, this week. I think it was a little bit better than it was previously. I, this is Florida State. They're not in the business of moral victories. Like, this isn't what any of us who cover the team and, and are around the team and, and grew up watching and liking this team. Or went to the university. Or, this, it, that's not what we want here, right? Like, no one, that's not acceptable for anyone, moral victories. Uh, I do think, though, that, that you can say that there's, I think, all right, I'll, I'll shut up and put out this. I think you could say this team showed growth and got better than what it was the last couple weeks and still not be happy with, with where they're at and still wonder if that's, if that's enough at Florida state and if Willie Taggart is doing enough, I think it could be both. I think I, they need, I, I'm going to hop in on that. Yeah, go ahead. I think they need more victories to try to get to the win loss record that they need for this year to be judged in a proper manner. They I, have I, to slowly climb that ladder to try to win six, seven, eight, whatever the number is that people who make hiring and firing decisions, make those decisions based on, they have to get to that number, but they need to show improvement. I mean, they've been dreadful on the road for three straight years. They need to show improvement. I think they did on Saturday. Now they didn't show enough, but they did. I I think that I agree with you, Chris. And this is something that, with that in mind, like that, I thought of earlier this morning uh, while, while making a cup of coffee and trying to uh, to wake up after what was a hellish day of travel yesterday. Uh, if Florida State looked this season, the way it's looked this season, if it looked that way last season. And year one under Willie Taggart, even with the you know, one and two start, which it was last year. But if, if the one and two looked the exact same last year, I think we'd feel better about where Willie Taggart was. I, I think that yesterday, last year was such a wasted year for this program. And that's really hasn't got given Willie any any leeway with the fan base or with boosters. Uh, you're seeing you know big time boosters doing lemonade stands with their with their kids, which we don't have to get into right now. But there's a lot of frustrated people and. I think the way the team's playing now, they did play really hard against Virginia. Uh, that's something I, I turned to the press box and, and asked Chris, like, this team, like, do you think they were going to play this hard? And, and neither of us did. We thought they were starting to check out a little bit uh, based on what we were hearing, how last week went in practice and, and whatnot. So I think there are encouraging signs. It just there's so little margin for error based on what last season was. I think like you could like what you see to an extent this season, but given the context of what last year was like, I don't know how much it matters unless they do start turning those moral victories into actual quantifiable wins. 
I'll take this as a moral victory if it means FSU goes on and defeats Louisville, NC State, Wake Forest, mm-hmm. Syracuse, Boston College. You know, if it helps them go on to win the games that they're supposed to, like you said, um, I'm going to say it in less words and become bowl eligible, then I'm fine with this being a moral victory or whatever you want to call it. Um, it's about getting better. We think that we're witnessing um, a step in the right direction. Let's take it as that for this week and head to Louisville next week at home um, or this weekend at home. So we will we'll probably be back for another podcast later in the week. Um, for Brennan Sinone, Chris Nee, I'm Josh Newberg. Thanks for listening to On the Bench. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball. And baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does. <laughs> Nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.